Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello, everybody, the crypto warriors, the Friday fanatics, and we're here. This has got to be, and this was the finale, I think, the, the one that we reserved this panel for all of you and everyone watching online right now to have four protocol founders to sit on stage together during a bear market. And uh, Sergey was uh, regaling us uh, in the back of how to, how to behave in a bear attack, in a bear market, <laughs> uh, literally and figuratively. But folks, I think it really is about the environment in which we're all in. So for those of you at home and for those of you right here, let's see what you think right now. We're going to pull up a poll. So head into your consensus app. We want to know what you think, because we're going to get a sense of what these guys think in a really intimate and candid way. Um, so for you folks, here's the poll. Open the consensus official app, select schedule, find this session, select live poll, and answer this question. And the, the question is, what is the biggest challenge facing blockchain projects during a bear market? Is it lack of funding? Is it low demand? Attracting developers? Is it regulatory uncertainty? Is it technological limitations? And all of those things are challenges in and of itself, but all of those things exist in our current environment. So I'm going to start with our panel here. And as you guys lock in your answers, we're going we're gonna to connect and see what you guys think in a little bit. But from your view, Robert, I'm going to start with you. What is the biggest challenge that collectively the industry is facing and what you're observing at Polkadot? Well, I, I think, you know, especially when it comes to the, the bear market, um, a, a lot of it is around the sentiment. And the sentiment doesn't often match reality you know, in the state of uh, where the technology is or uh, what is currently possible. That's something that's always advancing. 
uh, but people follow the crowd, right? So I think the, the, the largest challenge there is actually uh, often not the reality of the situation, but how the situation is perceived with respect to, you know, do people want to come build it out in, in, in uh, blockchain or do they want to build in uh, other spaces that have more hype? You know, people follow the crowd and I think the sentiment aspect is uh, uh, quite difficult for the bear market. Uh, you know, meanwhile, we're, we're out here shipping, you know, we're building developer communities, we're building new apps, uh, there are new projects deploying in crypto. You can see it all over the place, uh, but that, that sentiment is really the, uh, the, the trickiest part. You know, I, I don't actually think it's, it's a, a lack of funding as long as, you know, treasuries and funding have been managed appropriately. You know, there are many cases of, of too much money being spent in the bull market that didn't really materialize. The value on paper didn't match the value that was really there yet. Um, attracting developers is, is very much something that is uh, often easier in the bear market because uh, they, they actually get turned off by a lot of the frothier activities that are going on and they, it, it, it takes away from the uh, legitimacy of the space. And Sergey, you, you came up, you know, a, a lot of these protocols came up during the bear market. It was a little bit of a unique experience for you, but how are you sensing today's environment? What are the challenges? from your perspective, but also across the industry? I, I think we're in a generally pretty good environment. Um, I've been through probably all the, all the bear and bull markets in the 10 plus years I've, I've been in this industry. And the unique thing about this one is that every other one was the global macro economy doing well and crypto having a bust. And so crypto looked very bad while everything looked stable and logical and normal. And this is the first time I've ever seen that our industry was brought into what people, some people consider to be a bear market um, by the macro economy. So this, this bear market is actually not driven by deflation of interest in crypto. It's driven by a global macro slowdown of which there are, there are many factors. I'm not even sure if we're in a bear market, frankly. Um, I don't know what this market is called. It's like a platypus market or something. I don't know what it is exactly. But um, you know, to go off the list you have, there, there isn't a lack of funding. People are still getting $10 billion valuations in some cases before the launch of a, of a token. Low demand, um, yeah, that's the one thing that I think is happening uh, because the, the specular fervor has reduced and um, that drives some of the demand for some of the applications. Developer adoption has actually increased, mm -hmm. uh, possibly to uh, Robert's point, or really I would like to think because of the clear value that our industry provides. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a mix, actually. In certain ways we're not in a bear market, in certain ways we are. And um, if you think this is a bear market, this isn't a bear market, um, in, in my opinion. Has strategy changed for you, Eamon? Not really. So we are children of bear markets. We were born in a bear market and uh, what we do always is to build. And, um, and overall I see bear markets as times of clarity. So bull markets are kind of like the peak of the party. It's like that time like past midnight, everyone's drunk. There's one guy who's offering insane, uh, making insane offers that you know are not sustainable and yet he's belligerent, he's drunk, he's doing that. There are people who've created these highly unstable situations maybe called a stable coin, but they really have two equilibria, either at the peg or at zero, and you're hoping that it's always at the peg, but not, it's not gonna stay that way. And then there's that one guy with the big hair, and he's saying, oh, you know, I'm brilliant, even though you don't know why he's brilliant, but he looks brilliant, so you decide, okay, I'm gonna, you know, hitch my horse to this wagon. 
And that's the bull market. And the bear markets are when we are supposed to introspect. This is the time to say, okay, what did we learn? The bear markets are not over until we realize what mistakes we made in the night before. The bear markets are not over until we realize, oh, all these things that people dangled in front of us, the moon math, the crazy acronyms, the invented names, the crazy terminology that people said, this is the next big scaling solution. All of those, that this is the time in a bear market, this is the time to say, of the things we heard last night, which ones made sense? And there will be those, and I think this is what prolongs the bear market. They still want to cling on to the high of the night before. They still want the after party to continue with the same narratives. And it won't actually clarify, it won't actually, we won't be able to make the transition to the next stage until we realize, okay, this is what worked and this is what didn't. We are not going to go after the next person with the crazy hair and a, and a reputation that we don't understand where it came from. We're not going to go after moon math. We're not going to go after these narratives that appeal to people when speculative dollars are, are, are large and actual demand is low. So at some point we have to say, okay, this is not what worked, and here are the things that really have borne through. And so for us, the subnet strategy that we've pursued has borne us out. That that narrative has stayed true. We have so many subnets that we have developed that it pales in comparison to all the other things that people are talking about, which always remain dreams. So for us, the strategy has been identical through the bull and the bear, and we're thrilled to be working in this current market. And it, that, that narrative, that clarity of narrative to come back to sentiment, as we've seen, it's been really buffeted by myriad news events throughout the year. Uh, Ilya, over at NIR, this, is, this has been, uh, you know, you, NIR has been hit on the FTX side, and yet you're building still and what is the narrative that you've had to face in terms of the challenges and how are you building out what the new message is for NIR? So I would add we were not hit by FTX per se, uh, but kind of generally speaking, I think to add to the point, like the narratives in crypto generally has been around kind of next infrastructure, next technology, next kind of thing that somebody will build. And I actually think for the first time, we do have the technology, we do have infrastructure, we do have developers, and it's time to move away from just that to actually bringing users, bringing brands, building businesses, kind of really doing things that we promise when we talk about use cases, but actually delivering on those. And I think kind of it feels like, yeah, kind of people are still sticking to the kind of the way, like, oh, what's the next narrative? It's like, what's the next business that's going to be built? What's the next solution that's going to solve people's problems, you know, in developing markets? And also here, given, like, how banking system is kind of crumbling, right? right. Like, that is what we need to be starting talking about versus, oh, is this, like, low demand? There's low demand on speculation. That's normal. Yeah. Like, it's time to actually, there's a lot of demand on actual use case, like, on actual usage of this technology, right? And so a lot of what we focus on, and it's always been true for us, is how do we create a very easy and simple environment for people to build these businesses and to build these applications. And so we're just focusing a lot more on that and actually allowing anybody to build on any blockchain through a blockchain operating system and allowing to really build those businesses, kind of abstracting out yeah. complexity of the blockchain, abstracting out complexity for the users, and really solving some of the business problems people have, right, to bring this to market. And so 
like for me, that that is kind of the biggest challenge is not uh, that, you know, like if you have a go-to-market and you have kind of plan how to build a business, you will get funding, you will be able to attract developers, you will build a demand by going doing that go-to-market, and like technology is here. This, again, compared to 17 when there was a lot of promise, there was a lot of ideas, there was a lot of use cases discussed, but the technology could not actually facilitate that. We actually are at the stage where it is here, and it's, and it's working and it's usable, and so it's time to actually like build businesses. And I think this, this even image of the four of you on stage uh, to, to sit side by side and really talking to the builder community, what you're doing at blockchain operating system to be able to like for anyone to build on any system and to be able to, to work with you on that. For the developers, what is, what is the, you know, to, I mean, to, to your point, what is the new narrative when it comes to the tribe developer communities? Is this, uh, are people competing with each other? Or is this a new age of collaboration? I mean, so from my perspective, yeah, it's time to bend together. It's time to really kind of solve people's problems. And like, it doesn't, like 99.999% of people do not care which blockchain things are running on. They just want this thing to work, right? They want to make sure it's secure. They want to make sure it's not gonna break, like centralized solutions. It's not going to over leverage somewhere underneath. Like we need to solve that, and then kind of, and they need to use experience that is not something that like they need to figure out with like a textbook, right? And like learn a bunch of keywords, right, and and acronyms to actually use. And so I think that's where we all come in together and really need to kind of facilitate that. Not just education. Like I think we we have all these pieces. It's now really changing the. Okay, mindset. Like I think, like I, I kind of find in this developer's mindset a little bit limiting because at this point we need to find entrepreneurs, we need to find product people, we need to find people who can bring things to market, not just people who can build new infrastructure or solutions. So uh, from my perspective, I think this is a great time to be to build things that are outward facing. So when we came up with Avalanche, our goal was always to grow the pie, was always to bring the best of science into blockchains, was always to grow the field overall. And this is, there is no better time than now. Instead of reflexive solutions, instead of coins that build on coins that build on coins, we're doing a number of things uh, to really expand the reach of blockchains and to address real world needs. One of them is the institutional subnet that we're building for a variety of Wall Street firms. And I want to show the world, I'm, I'm sure you're all sick and tired of hearing people talk about DIDs and identity solutions and compliance and so forth. And it's high time for somebody to say, look, this is all a bunch of talk, and this is how you do it. So to serve as an exemplar, we are launching this thing that we call Spruce, and it's an institutional subnet that shows the world exactly how to do federated identity, exactly how to do a, a, a compliance solution for real world assets. So I'm really thrilled about that. At the same time, we launched a core uh, product, which is a command center for how to interact with multiple chains. And I'm really thrilled to show the world again how you know, normal people can interact with blockchains without having to uh, be, uh, you know, be, be uh, well-versed in hexadecimal numbers and all sorts of weird things that normal people should never be exposed to. And then the final thing, of course, is uh, responding to what happened with FTX. We, have, uh, we already foresaw that that was going to be a problem. And we built something called Enclave that we spun out of Ava Labs. It's its own uh, company now. 
Uh, it's called Enclave.Market, and it uses, again, the magic of crypto, the magic of trusted execution technologies to come up with a market, with, with an exchange that anyone can trust, that even the sysadmins on the exchange cannot front run you, cannot MEV you, cannot even peek at your positions. So this was badly needed, and this is one of these cases where crypto is bringing something to the table that TradFi doesn't have. So when the regulators come and say, what's going on here? We can say, look, we, our technology is so good that it obviates the need for you to come in and do audits, that we can build these rules into the fabric of a system. So I'm thrilled about these things that are happening. It's the best time to do it. Best time to, to work on what other apps, uh, other dApps that, that are on your radar and for which industries that are getting traction? Robert or Sergey? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think uh, it, it's very important to get outside of the crypto developer bubble. You know, there's these constant conversations about, oh, how do we, how do we scale these systems further? Well, the, the truth is that uh, the work on scaling these systems has already been done. Right? So if we're belaboring the point of scaling and scaling and, and working in these bubbles instead of bringing that technology out into applications that can reach everyday people, uh, it's never going to grow beyond that bubble. And you know, some of the things that uh, uh, Polkadot has been uh, doing and Parity Technologies uh, along with Polkadot uh, to bring verticals like gaming or like social media, because crypto is much bigger than uh, the developers and the protocol aspect. We have these beautiful protocols, but where they stem from are these core values of transparency, reliability, open source software, uh, and decentralized trust. And we want to find ways to carry that root of decentralized trust out into as many spaces as possible. And our strategy has very much been to identify the innovators within certain established segments uh, on that side of things and try to bring them in and show them what they can do with this technology. And uh, these, these uh, initial projects that have been discussed here at Consensus are just the first of those. Now, in the meantime, it is important to continue thinking about things like scaling further and make the case for you know, how do you bootstrap? How do you avoid having small uh, teams who are trying to build something native in Web3 uh, who aren't in part of an established industry? Give them a story for how they can bootstrap and furthermore, how they can scale. But this is actually distinct from the blockchain scaling problem that people are talking about. This is a story about scheduling and resource allocation. We have all of these decentralized trust resources. It's just a matter of how they are allocated and creating the right markets for that. So our technology strategy is very rooted in that, and the growth strategy is very rooted in identifying these innovators in verticals that we can bring in. That is a great point. A lot of um, you know, people have remarked that a lot of the blockchain technology and uh, use cases rest primarily in the financial sector, and yet the applications for consumers and utility goes beyond just the financial industry. So I'm curious, in a bear market, you know, as that liquidity is challenged and erodes, where are you placing the next big bets? Which other industries should be getting your attention, your resources, and allocation? So I think financial products in DeFi is definitely the place that's uh, getting a lot of attention, both from um, a public blockchain startup point of view, and uh, as even mentioned, from an institutional point of view. Um, I've been dealing with institutional folks, capital markets, you would call them, they would call themselves that, um, for I think over seven, eight years. 
and it's been very cyclical in that the boom and bust cycles of our industry tend to determine if they're interested. Um, and now, considering that we're in this kind of sort of semi-bear, platypus-like market, um, they, they, are, they are continuing to be interested and um, wanting to build products that appeal not only to their institutional clients, but also um, public blockchain. So for example, for the first time I've seen a highly regulated French bank, uh, Societe Generale, create a, a stable coin mm -hmm. that's gonna make its way onto public blockchains. And in discussions with a lot of banks and other folks um, about how to properly transfer value and move commands and value across multiple chains um, through something we have called CCIP and, and, and various other technology that'll through Chainlink allow them to interface with multiple chains efficiently. So I think um, the DeFi world and the capital markets world are actually moving towards each other. Okay. Um, part of that is some of the identity stuff that, that Eamon mentioned. Uh, other parts of it are scalability. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that I think is great is the, the quality of, of um, the teams and the quality of the people building this stuff has you know, dramatically improved since when I started over 10 years ago. So like everyone here has made really big leaps forward um, in scalability and they've all made their own contribution and really made big, uh, big impacts on that. And that has resulted in yeah, financial products being able to work at the speeds and at the usability that they want. Uh, beyond financial products, uh, gaming. Mm -hmm. Gaming is something that works as well. Speed is important there. Random numbers are important there. That's one of the things we provide. And um, I think gaming has an interesting problem around ownership where people spend thousands of hours grinding away in games to own things that can be taken away from them. So that's an interesting problem. And then beyond that, um, I think real-world asset tokenization yeah. will, uh, will be a big deal. And uh, that'll actually drive, I think, both of those uh, other ones. So gaming is also a kind of market where you basically create things that you can sell. And maybe you'll play enough games to get a real-world asset token for a house. <laughs> How does everybody view, view gaming right now from, from your perspectives? So, um, as you go into this big hall back there, there is an uh, amazing game called uh, Shrapnel. And uh, I don't know how many of you played with it, but it's a AAA game. It's amazing gameplay. Uh, it's Call of Duty Plus Plus, if you will. And uh, you may or may not have noticed that all the assets on that game are actually on a blockchain. And if you didn't notice, then we succeeded amazingly well because they're actually on an Avalanche subnet. And that's exactly how it should be. All of, these, uh, all of these games and applications ought to be using blockchain infrastructure without anybody even realizing. The subnets are so fast that people don't even think that they think they're re interacting with a regular server. And that's not the only one. There are many, many other games, AAA games. Uh, and there's another one, Godzilla, coming out that's also just as amazing. And there are many, many others that are in the pipeline. So I'm thrilled about the gaming, uh, gaming world and what they're doing. And I think what they have found is that it's very hard to share a chain if you're a game because these shared resources will come back to bite you, especially when demand is high, when somebody else is doing a mint, when somebody else, something is happening in the DeFi markets, you don't want your game affected. And the subnet architecture of Avalanche allows people with games to have their own uh, load-isolated, congestion-isolated, fee-isolated, predictable game experience. And so that's why we've been fielding so many calls from these games. That's why all these AAA games are coming out on Avalanche this year. 
which I am thrilled. I should mention this. Um, I, I ended up getting invited to a game studio, and, um, and I'm proud to be an NPC in one of these upcoming games. So if anybody wants to, uh, to come and like, shoot me a bazillion times, you can try the Godzilla game. And uh, I'm in there saying dramatic things uh, repeatedly, and, and you can come and kill me. But it's, it's just so fun. And, uh, and it's one of these uh, bear market demands that are just intransigent. Like, that demand is there no matter what, and it doesn't matter what, uh, what the rest of the market is doing. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing about the, the gaming space, I think, is within the, the context of uh, asset ownership and asset interoperability, the, the fact that you, know, you can have NFTs, say, that represent your, your assets in-game, uh, you know, items that you've unlocked, things like that, and that can then be you know, bridged between chains to chain. And you, if you do that under a shared security umbrella, and you can actually bring that asset in a very trustless way off to, say, any other game that wants to, wants to use that. Uh, I think this is a, a very you know, interesting application, but it, it does shape the way that we might think about NFTs, because you think of NFTs as something like, oh, it's a single piece of art, it's a single piece of music, uh, where you can actually have things that are more like multi-resource NFTs. You know, in this context, it appears like this. In this context, it appears like that. Mm -hmm. you know, and you can share it in that way. Uh, and that interoperability, sort of the, the open asset platform side of it, is, uh, I think, quite attractive to game developers. Are there interesting projects right now that you're super excited about that would not have happened in a very noisy, hype-driven market, that you're paying attention to right now, quality projects, quality dApps that are happening in a bear market environment because people are still working and people are still building? I mean, there's plenty of projects that are kind of building, right? And uh, a lot of them are exciting. I think there's a lot of games, indeed, which are, like, it doesn't really matter for them if it's bull or bear market in, in the uh, crypto. They are trying to build the game and kind of deliver. And, and game development takes, like, two years. So we're going to see a lot of games that are started building in 2020, 2021 coming out now, uh, which is really exciting. I think a lot of the kind of exciting for me on the gaming side is also in composability of the worlds, right? So yes, NFTs is like an interesting piece, but like for most people, again, it's not really about the NFT itself. It's about how they can interact with different worlds and bring some of the context that they have with them, right? And so for that, we need, so there's like a lot of interesting technology being built around kind of pre-rendering and or like fast rendering as you enter, for example, into different game to bring the assets that this gaming engine actually doesn't have locally. So there's a lot of interesting things happening there, which are not just, like blockchain is more of a tool to enable. And I think that's a generally, we need to think a lot more about that state of the world where people are building applications which are not blockchain applications. They're just using blockchain to enable various kind of new experiences and create this, um, kind of trustless and user-owned environment. And I think generally, kind of abstracting that out, what blockchain is really good at it is opening up markets, right? It's something that, um, like, fair markets that are equal, that you can run auction, like fair auctions around. And our life is all markets, right? Everything from finding a job to kind of interacting with people to, you know, which, uh, uh, for example, place, like, for a sponsor you have, it's all a market that, like, usually are hidden and non-equal. Non and so I think where we see a lot more interesting cases is where this real world problems, like 
Google, for example, ads platform, right, has a lot of questions around the fairness of the marketplace they run. And so we can use these technologies now to really build a fair market for ad placement. We can build a more fair markets for, you know, job, like job description, gigs, you know, like, is Uber running a fair market? We don't know. It's not an open platform. And so, like, this is the use cases we, we can see now, which yeah. I don't think, like, before it was so easy to get kind of rolled up into, like, crypto-to-crypto crypto yeah. kind of uh, use cases that people kind of got stuck in that. And now we're actually starting to see real-world kind of, like, solving, hey, this is not a fair market. There's, like, opportunity to, re like, to solve that, to build something that brings people together to create more equal opportunity. And that's what I'm excited about. So, um... Let's see. So the question was, uh, what are we seeing that's happening in a bear market that we would not otherwise see? And I think one of the best examples for this is real-world asset tokenization. So the problem in the bull market, once again, is all of us, right? The, when the speculative money is coming in, in, in droves, these reflexive products, yet another product by, let's say, a famous person who tests in production, etc. These tokens, they just go up in value. And people have these crazy expectations that, you know, that 300% a year is not enough, right? They want 3x over a month. And so, uh, so then they, they don't actually look into regular yield-producing uh, assets that, uh, that one would like to see. So in a bear market, now that speculative money is not coming in, now that you can't just ape into other people's plays and make money uh, just essentially off the back of other people who are putting their money in, uh, now we have to look critically, and it's now an opportunity to take yield-bearing actual instruments and put them on chain. To this end, we worked with KKR, and uh, I don't know how many people are familiar with KKR, but they're the biggest asset issuer, the asset manager in the world. And uh, they have these funds that you and I could never buy into. So you can't buy into them with $5,000. Even if you had $10 million, you'd have to line up behind all of the other big VCs to get your, your share of these funds. They're very, very lucrative uh, from a traditional asset standpoint. Uh, but they're not going to compete with what happens in a crazy bull market when there's some craziness going on. So uh, the KKR fund, for example, got digitized on top of Avalanche through Securitize and was sold to, uh, to, was, was sold to people who are qualifying. And uh, it's one of the best examples, I think, of bringing the benefits of blockchains, bringing their reach, bringing their global equality across the board to an asset class and allow regular people to get, uh, get a hold of these highly valuable, highly coveted assets. And I think that's one of the prime examples. There are many other examples of things happening on Avalanche as well. There's insurance companies coming on board. There, is, um, uh, there are people who are building government solutions. Uh, various solutions for government needs for accounting using subnets again. Uh, so there's a lot of things happening, but I think the best example is a reset of expectations, hopefully collectively, mm. and, uh, and then a, 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 a renewed look at traditional instruments but on the blockchain. And with that, we will build new rails that replace what Wall Street's got today. That is a great perspective. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's really fascinating. Um, and you know, congratulations on that. Um, the, let's say, thing that happened within the, uh, the bull market, I think, is that people tend to take uh, successful things and try to emulate them. And what we ended up with a lot was, you know, copy-paste um, projects. You know, oh, hey, here's Uniswap, it's successful. Here's Compound, it's successful. Here's OpenSea, it's successful. 
and they take it, copy paste it, and then they're hoping to get you know, a, a payday out of that. And maybe it works the first one or two times, uh, but after that everybody's like, okay, we don't need yet another DEX that just works exactly the same way as every other DEX. We don't need yet another NFT marketplace that works exactly the same as, as every other one. Uh, so what is, is very important is um, finding new models for doing things because those are going to define the trajectory of the space and the types of technologies and products that are being built for the next uh, couple of years. And you know, a, a lot of the stuff is actually very difficult to do. You have to wander around in idea mazes until you can discover something that's truly original and truly um, you know, foundational for a new type of, of use case. Uh, a lot of the hard work you know, is, I think, less attractive when there are easy paydays to be found. There's sort of a converse effect that you know, if you're a smart person and you're self-motivated, you know, during the bull market, you might just run around trading tokens and make a, a, a good money that way. During a, something like a, a bear market or where funding is, you know, I'd say, more inquisitive about what they are really looking for, those smart people are going to get anchored to projects that are doing deeper grinds. Uh, everything that's happening in the privacy space, the ZK space, I think is absolutely fascinating. I mean, these are decades-long academic research projects, uh, new models for proofs, um, and, and it's only expanding from there. So I think within the blockchain space, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the crypto-native stuff, I think uh, the, the zero-knowledge proof space is very interesting. We have a couple interesting projects uh, doing that on Polkadot as well. You know, Manta is, is, is one that's worth taking a look at. They've been using Substrate to essentially implement zero-knowledge proofs and, uh, and private transfers and transactions in ways that couldn't really be done in a smart contract environment. So, you know, we have to look at the new models that are going to be Web3 native as well as the new models that are going to reach from Web3 into the broader economic system. Sergey, what are you seeing that is being built in a bear market that would not have happened in a relatively hype-driven bull market case? Yeah, I, th I think the point Robert just made makes, makes sense and some of the other points that were made, things just need to make sense, right? So basically the incentives are different. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a bull market, you can you know, create the magical money machine um, <laughs> and the magical money machine makes uh, money out of other people's money and, and so magical money machines abound and you know, there you go. Uh, in, a, in a bear market, magical money machines don't work so well I just really maintain my point we're kind of in a platypus market, so they kind of work. Like some of them work, some of them stop working. Yeah. Um, so everything just needs to make more sense. People become more discerning about what they invest in, what they spend their time in. I think from a talent point of view, that's a good point that I hadn't thought of. Yeah. Is that, uh, yeah, like maybe talented people that entered the industry during uh, a platypus market like now end up going into... Um, things that might actually provide value rather than being magical money machines. So, yeah, it all There's just There's a maturity to, be, to the space now, it feels like. Yeah, it, it has to come back to reality, and then what happens is because some things get built in a, in a way that's related to reality, then, then when the bull market comes, those miraculously the things that make sense do well. Like, it's this amazing thing when, when you create something that actually provides real value and a bunch of other people make weird, scammy things your thing makes sense, right? It's the due diligence of, of projects and uh, it's not distracting as much. And, and you know, over at Forecast Labs, as we have these conversations from around the globe, in Asia, the distraction is less. 
because there is opportunity, teams are building, and specifically for projects that have a value proposition. I want to head it back to you folks in the audience and uh, watching uh, online. The poll question uh, that we shared with you and curious to see what people felt. And so let's pull up uh, the, the answer, if we can, on the big screen here. And it looks like, I wish I had, okay, low demand uh, is one of the biggest challenges I think is, uh, is one of the highlights. 37.5% feels that it's regulatory uncertainty. I think from an international perspective, you know, as you talk to your teams, right, they're saying, hey, Ilya, hey, Amin, hey, Sergey, hey, Robert, oh my God, I can't get funding. What's happening in the US? Where should I go? Should I go to the Middle East? Should I go to Asia? Uh, do people even care about what we're building right now? Uh, what are the pep talks that you feel like that you need to have that you can share with everybody who's building here, backed up by experience and data? Sure. Um, let, me, let me handle this because uh, uh, I have some personal stories to relate. So first of all, low demand is not really that big of an issue. It's really, there's a lot of demand that's just getting dispersed across a whole bunch of crap because people haven't really woken up yet. So uh, the world doesn't need yet another version of, like, it's, the EVM is fine, WASM is perfectly fine, EVM plus WASM are fine. Nobody was asking for yet another set of bytecodes. And so, but if they come up and they end up attracting some of the demand away, then of course you're going to see demand fall off. When people wake up and realize, hey look, these are all the projects at the level of a master's project. And they don't really bring anything new to the space. They don't expand the demand outside of crypto. The moon math does not appeal to anybody who's not already here. That's when the demand will go and recenter itself onto those people who are growing the pie. So you gotta have full faith in this and you gotta have uh, the understanding that it's, it's those projects that can grow the space and absorb the growth by virtue of their architecture that are going to be ahead of the curve. So that's one. Two, on the regulatory side, I just came back from Korea. And if you want to have sort of a, uh, sort of a, a sneak peek into the future, just go to a country where the regulatory structure is a little clearer than here. And what I saw there was amazing. It's totally different from what we see here. Because coins are well established there, the, uh, the amount of interest in blockchain projects was through the roof. And we ended up doing a, a, a project with SK Planet, which is one of the biggest Korean companies, SK being for, standing for South Korea. Um, and uh, and it's, a, it's a project involving 22 million users. So there's a lot of people bringing real actual users onto chains. Mm. And they are to be found all across the globe. The, the world is far bigger than the US and they serve as an example of what will happen here when the time comes. And then my last and final point for all of you is to contemplate the following what, what Einstein would call Gedanken experiment. We're gonna do a thought experiment. Imagine that all, all projects were to be shut down right now. Ima imagine that that could be possible. We know it's not, but just work with me for a second. Imagine that all coins were banned. Gen Z has seen the beauty of blockchains. 
you all have sent coins around, you've seen how fast it is, you've seen how convenient it is. Many of you have experimented with lending platforms. You know how much easier it is than going to your bank. It's just night and day. So when the ruling class changes, when Gen Z is in power, we know that this technology will make a comeback. Perhaps the boomers don't currently understand and they might want to come in with the ban hammer, but we know that the, the people who have actually bitten, uh, the, who have peaked at the, the blockchain promise, they will bring this technology back. So in the long term, the curve is up and to the right, the most important curve of all, not price, it's the curve of adoption, is up and to the right and it cannot be stopped. So whenever you feel that pang of doubt, rest assured, that no matter what we do, no matter what anyone does, this technology will be adopted more widely than it is today. And yeah, maybe to add to that, like it actually is adopted and used, it's just, it's in the places where it's really needed, right? It's Turkey, it's Ukraine, it's South America. It's places where they actually need the payment rails that are decorrelated from government, from their local currency, and it's used there more than ever. And the kind of the adoption there is like 20, 30% of population, like, is actually using blockchain for payments, for you know, transacting. And so kind of projecting that, right, like those people are already on chain. They already have wallets, they're already using this. And like right now it's still really hard to go from there to actually using applications because there's like a pretty big gap on kind of user experience, on engagement, on all of those things that we are, like people are very familiar with in Web2. And so really that gap is kind of really closing fast right now with you know everything that um, like we're launching and, and kind of ecosystems launching and so we will see that users actually converting now not just into you know paying for things and like sending money around but actually starting to leverage applications and going forward right and it will come here as well it's just like here's is less like there was speculation demand but there was no as much of users demand because banks seemed stable mm -hmm. right but the demand here is is starting as well right we've seen fleet of capital right from banks people were trying to figure out what to do right and same like right now on sounds on chain yields actually are higher like there's like optimizers that can run and achieve you can get access to treasuries and everything on chain as well through some of this real world assets so like there is actually more and more opportunity that's starting to become a chain that people actually can control, they can own it, they don't need to rely on a bank that lended all these assets to somebody else. And like again, I'm coming from a country which had 140 banks failed in past 20 years. 140 banks failed. Like bank I was paying my like uh, pretty much the bills has failed like in past you know year for obvious reasons. And so, like all of that is like the reality of like the developing markets, but like it's coming here as well. And so I think like we we see this coming, and it's kind of like it's not the demand that was before in bull market. It's a real demand of real people actually wanting to save money to use applications to create fair markets to really participate with each other, kind of without having middlemen. And so, why is now the best time to build, in your view, Sergey? Yeah, I, th I think now now's the best time to build because you have time to build something worthwhile that makes sense. Um, because when when the whole bull thing uh, thing begins, it, it moves fast, and it's a little bit confusing for people coming into this industry, frankly, because there's so much misinformation. The incentive to create misinformation in this industry 
is <laughs> unbelievable. Um, so you, you need some, some time to figure out what the hell is going on, kind of which way is up. Then you need some time to figure out like what technologies are how far along. And then you need some time to build the thing you need to build. And um, that time is during the, bull, is during the bear market. Mm -hmm. You, you don't, you don't, you don't want to get in like when everything's go, like fantastically well. That, that's a pattern some people follow and then they get in at the top and then it doesn't go well and they go, oh, I should listen to my mother and then they get out, right? Uh, or, or, whatever, or whatever they say. What, what you want to do is you want to have conviction and logic tell you, this makes sense. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this thing over the course of one, two, three years. Uh, this is obviously valuable. And, and, and provides value to whatever, the financial world, the gaming world, whatever world. Um, and then the good news about this place is that there actually is a continually larger and larger stream of value coming in that's gonna grow the market for your application. So if you're a developer, now the next couple of years is the time to build something because there's gonna be a stream of value mm -hmm. that's gonna come in that would use your application. And based on the size of the places this industry touches, like the places uh, Eamon mentioned, KKR, all those places, the amount of value that can flow into this place to use your application is frankly like the biggest market on earth. So yep. it's a very good time. And to your point, Robert, no more copy paste. No more copy paste. <laughs> yeah, none. No more of that. That's AI. Yeah, potentially. I mean, it's a copy paste all of human intelligence and to new documents. Um, the, you know, the, the reason I think it makes a lot of sense to build in the bear market or what we might call the bear market is that, you know, from a, especially from a startup perspective, but generally from a, a business perspective, um, you need to have conviction in your ideas. And when a space is saturated with, you know, an orthodoxy of this is the way to build, this is what, say, crypto is, which is always what it's the case in, in, in every bull market that I've seen, you know, first it was, say, you know, ICOs and supply chain stuff, then it was um, you know, DeFi and NFTs. And these things still exist, right? You know, many of those use cases that came out there, right? But you know, if you're trying to innovate, you need to do that in a time where basically uncertainty is fairly high because that creates an opportunity and a gap for new ideas to fit in uh, and can attract attention. And you know, bull and bear markets are kind of statements of um, position as opposed to statements of velocity, of statements of where things yeah. are moving. What's much more important for building is where are things going rather than where are things now. The world will always exist in cycles. The place in which you find the industry is simply part of the journey. Right now, there's not a lot of noise, which is an extraordinary time for all of you to be able to have access to brilliant minds and to builders and protocols that are working independently and collectively together. It is a collaborative effort. It is an industry-wide effort. And it really uh, behooves all of us to understand that at the end of the day, the cycles will come and go, but the talent remains if the vision has a lot of conviction. and. I hear it from everyone on this stage. Thank you all for sharing incredible insights. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.